my camera, which is my camera, it'll cut out. So, hey, here we go. We're doing it. This is episode three of the Cathode Raid podcast. My name is Louis Zezeran, and I have with me Steve from Retrotech. Great, doing, great. Glad to be here today. Episode three. Can't believe it already. So, uh, ready to talk about some cathode stuff. It's doing great. And how do you... How do you feel so far about the reaction and, and what we're doing with the podcast? What are your thoughts? I've been uh, really, uh, you know, surprised with a lot of uh, that. It's already gotten a, some people good feedback. Uh, everything that I've heard so far is that mm. uh, people that want to see it are really enjoying it. And I think that uh, the idea of questions i think that will take off more and more i always get a lot of questions mm -hmm. not even on the podcast videos but in general so i think if people realize that they'll get i'll start you know if they realize that the the question thing's big because it's hard to um it's hard to give some of these answers just in the form of a text response in a box you know so that's that's all good i think people are really excited about that yeah, because it's like for you, like, hey, Steve, one of the questions are, I blow a fuse in this TV. What could it be? Well, you know, give 10 minutes. I'm sure you could poke around and yeah. get something, but it's very hard to remotely diagnose. And it's another thing, actually, it's on our list of topics to have is um, what, what are the, I don't know, top five things that someone can do if they need to communicate with you uh, and you know, diagnose or like what are the, the five bits of information they can check, check this, check that, you know. Ask me a question. I'd love that, but tell me these five things first, and that might maybe give me some context. But another yeah, I think episode. that's a good idea. There's always because yeah. it always does seem like well, it, and that that's that's kind of something that I'd eventually like to develop. Would be nice is almost a flow chart of if this mm -hmm. happens, then did you look at this, and then if you looked at this, did it go to this or this, and then it's like okay. Because those could, I remember those in old school service manuals or things. They were they were quite helpful, but um, you, there are some definite things we could, you know, at least point in the right direction a yeah, little bit. Try. Hmm. All right, so let's uh, let's start by recapping what we've been doing this week. I know we'll go with your stuff because I know you've been working. You had a couple of days straight where you working on a bunch of monitors. Yeah, all weekend it was pretty much a cram fest of uh, CRTs. I had. I had see I've had a, a delivery that I went uh, and picked up from New York uh, about two or three months ago now maybe two months and it's uh, it was six monitors from one person I also delivered them a monitor that they had bought and um, I had been finally where I was like well I need to get a lot of these done so I worked through four of those this weekend it was a PVM a two PVMs uh, Sony they were an eight inch eight zero four one Q. Yeah, oh, and then a um, thirteen forty one, which is the older. It's it's like the same era, um, like the medical monitor I got with the fuse blown out, where it's all there's no service menu, just like the eight series there. Both of those were early nineties models, um, I believe. And then I had two Panasonics, which I was really happy to work on. A th they were both thirteen inches. One was a BTH. 1350y which is surprised i could remember that okay. but that's that's <laughs> actually an all analog version of um, it was made by panasonic and it's very uh similar to that 1341 kind of although it does it's really nice because it adds component support and then there was a um the final one was a 1390 
And that was actually made by G- JVC. I opened it up, and it's all JVC parts inside, except for the tube is a Panasonic tube. And it's branded yes, Panasonic. Yes, it's branded okay, Panasonic. Yeah. Uh, but oh. it, this one is really cool because it's like BVM quality. So it's got an, a full mm-hmm. on-screen menu, and it accepts. Uh, it doesn't have cards in the back, but it has all the inputs you need in it. And um, it's only analog, but it uh, it has like 750 TV lines. So it's right in there where that 800 line Trinitron tube is. It's really high res. It looks awesome. Um, and I, so I have I'm going to try to film some stuff on those two Panasonics just because I don't see them very often, and there really are great options. Mm. I haven't seen much on, on Panasonics at all. So what were the overall? Um, I mean, was it just okay. general recaps yeah, so, and, well, and preventative matrices, or what sort of problems did you the, have? The um, the two Panasonics were just dirty and needed adjustment and cleaning, and so literally. There's a process that takes me about an average about two hours um, of and it's just a detail cleaning of the monitor and then readjusting and poking around and checking everything. And so that generally takes about two hours. And then would that be to the extent of uh, pulling out the whole tube? No, no, not that. uh, uh, No, that would take that would take more time. This is more or less. and there's a lot of time testing, inspecting uh, boards where I have to take the boards and physically look at all the components and like check solder work. And it's just it's just time consuming. And then at the same time, I'm cleaning them, too. So um, it's not but I do not. That's not like that. I generally that would not be part of it unless there was a need for it where the tube is just filthy and the case is filthy. See, on. On the pro monitors, you can still get in there and, you know, I can still wash the back case and the boards clean. And then I can clean around the monitor, which I do, the tube on all sides without actually taking it out of a bezel most of the time. But not sometimes, but not this time it didn't include. What it was funny was the 8-inch one had been serviced before because I could tell that some cap work had been done. But, again, it was a... (laughs) It was a shoddy job because there's a one capacitor on there that it, it was it was rated at 25 volt 1000 microfarad so it's a pretty decent sized capacitor it's not one of the tiny ones mm. and the tech replaced it with a 50 volt 1000 which when you're talking about that size it's 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 going to perform fine but it's 50 volts so it's mm. it's bigger and this is a very tight little mm-hmm. spot so I got in there, and the darn thing is sticking up above the board. It's got its legs like this high above the board, just waiting again to ground out against something. So uh, I removed that and replaced it with a better, smaller, correct one. Um, and So a lot of that, I mean, that's like a common story. You've, you've told me this sort of scenario before where... Uh, one of the first things, I mean, it's just a visual look. Do any of these caps look out of place? All right. Yeah. Now something's happened. There's a deeper story. Right. So, yeah, my general my general uh, process for this is to first, you know, get the monitor, test it, make, see what condition is to begin with. And then before I get too involved with adjusting anything, I have to open up the shell after I know it's working. And that's when I do, you know, you get the first visual inspection. Is it clean right away or is it just filthy? So sometimes they need like an hour and a half of cleaning because they're covered in soot and nasty stuff. So then once you do that, you can get under there. And then finally, yeah, you can go through and and, uh, visually inspect stuff or use tools like meters 
multimeters, just general multimeter can be used to test a lot of things. And you're poking around at things like uh, you might, I, I mean, you just open any monitor. Yeah. It's not like you've, maybe you've specifically seen that, but you know, common things to look at, common places to poke around and look for. Right. So there's, there's definitely, well, if it doesn't have any issues, then you're just looking in there to make sure that, you know, it, nothing looks really out of place or sometimes there will be signs of things that need to be replaced coming up. You know, it's preventative maintenance. So you may just go in and say, okay, we're going to clean this. We're going to replace this cap kit. We're not doing all the monitor. We're doing this cap kit. And then we'll just go through and do that. And that's a, those are obviously the easiest jobs, right, where it's just standard. I had one that I did. Uh, from a pri from another load before I did these four, it was a thirteen. It was a fourteen M two U, and honestly, I opened it up and it was the cleanest I'd ever seen inside of it. From it was from two thousand, I believe, and it was spotless. I mean, spotless for a PVM. Like I'd ne I couldn't. It was like it'd been saved in a bag. Because there was no dust in it, yeah, okay. no, no dust, dust at all, yeah. and uh, the whole—it was one of the most. So you get into that, and you're like, okay, well, that's obviously beyond just spraying it off with some air, taking it out and inspecting anything. There's really nothing to look at, but it was a perfect example of how one can be just clean after 20 years. And then the other ones would be like, you know, it would it would be like have 10 monitors worth of dirt inside one of them. So it's hard to tell without even open without opening them and looking. But then, yeah, you're going to look at um, it, it. Then, then you can start to try to think about if you have issues. I have a really good troubleshooting short video coming soon that is about a twenty five thirty that I worked on where the thing kept cutting out power, and it, power yeah. Power so, and the problem is, is this voltage is running all through the monitor, all over the place, and. So I figured it out by wiggling a wire. Like I finally got to this wire and I'm wiggling it. And as I'm wiggling it, the power will go on. And then if I pull it, the power comes yeah, on. Bum, 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 bum. And it's, you know, so it's just a little connection point on a board that wire goes to that's, I look at it and it, you could see rings where it's just got cold solder joints. So I'm like, well, I'm mm -hmm. reflow the solder. So you've got to identify yeah, that. But I it mean, takes you, you know, how many hours does it take you to find that spot? Because you got to like let it sit yeah, there and try yeah. to turn off, and it's like intermittent power loss, so you don't really know. Well, you know, I had to like let it run for thirty minutes before it would cut off on the first time. Hmm. So, anyway, that was uh, we're all for yeah, that we're was all, all that. for just preventive maintenance. Yeah, well, no, no, no. The, the twenty five thirty was brought to me oh, because yeah. it was like, hey, this power's gone out. It kept going out. I don't know what's going on with it. So I knew that the power was going out, and that thing's a mess. Unfortunately, I mean, I have to go through. I've already re built uh i've rebuilt three of the boards it has like eight boards inside of it and so i've already and by rebuilt you're meaning re yes yes the, and actually the, the okay. uh so the, this this one was from the 80s right it's from like the late 80s it's 2530 so it's big and if you open those up they have two deflection boards they have two power supplies they have uh, an input board a neck board a color processing board and a audio amp board in there. So there's all, there's like nine or 10 boards almost total in this thing. And then there's a couple of switching boards on the bottom and junction boards. So this thing is filled with boards and every single one of the boards, like I'd, I was like, okay, all these boards need rebuilding except the color board. But then the color board was the one that would just, I'd fix everything else in the color board kept going out. So I'm like, well, now I have to replace the color boards. So and I have like a, 
I've got so what I'd had to do is I had to take I had a parts graveyard and so I had a good tested um color board. I just said forget it. I'm done messing with that one and I just replaced it. I replaced the input board where the inputs go in because mm-hmm. this had some crazy uh custom like res- you know sometimes you look into these PVMs and they'll have where somebody's removed a part and added like a resistor and all these weird especially the older ones yeah okay some bodge. mod bodged in there i don't know whether they're done in the factory most of the time i think to like attenuate a signal that's not quite right so they had all these things and all this corrosion and i could visibly visibly see bad caps on it i'm like i'm not even messing with this one it's got corrosion all over half of it so i said you need to replace this one too so i've done those two i did the deflection, the second deflection board, the power supplies, and the neck board. I've still got the big deflection board to go, but it's like 120 caps. It's just all of it, and it's like so, sometimes I get into it, and I'm like, man, it was like, were we too greedy on this one? It's just like eventually I get in. If you get into something, start working on it, it just starts not working because something else goes wrong while you're working on something, and it's that's why every board sometimes has to be reworked and it's just it's kind of a nightmare on this which one. is difficult in these these as i said 80s these are older than regular so what's that nigh on 35 years old yes these like this one is by this stage this one is from 87 so yeah i mean it's and it's like and, so and it's never and it's never been serviced it's a big one never been serviced so yeah you're right on where you're like, God, I mean, I don't really want to recap this and, and send it on. But again, it's like, it's how long will it really last? It's already double the life expectancy on some of these capacitors, at least by the book. So there's always that. But yeah, that one. Uh, it's just going to happen. I, hate, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very used to. Yeah, know, those... we have old stuff. We have old electronics. It's going to like, I kind of I get frustrated, like all of us in the retro gaming community. I'm sure we turn on that console, that device, that thing. And it's like, it worked yesterday, and now it doesn't work. Oh, but you breathe, remember, that's, that's the hobby. That's part that's of the, it. That's our profession. That's part I, of it. This is old electronics. Uh, just as an example, when I was working on that 2530, I was using my Super Nintendo to test it, right, and test the inputs, just mm. my regular Super Nintendo. And uh, all of a sudden, my Super Nintendo stops working. I look down, and I, something's up with the power supply where it's, like, wiggling free from the... Uh, you know, it's an old original power supply. It's the wires wiggling free from the actual brick on it. And it's like, so it's intermittent power loss on it. And I'm like, goodness gracious. And I got to go find So it's like, it's always something you're like, I've got this thing I'm testing. It's great. And it's all of a sudden it just doesn't work. And you're like, Oh, what's wrong with the monitor? Oh no, it's my console. So then you just, you got to be careful. But it's even with stuff like that, I've, I'm constantly, uh, working on the machines I'm used to test this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. What's going so, on? Yeah, okay, so you've had those. Yeah, yeah for me. Yeah. So I was also looking up here in the background when you, I like to, when you talk, I sometimes check the model number just to make sure that uh, I know everything's up. I had something similar. Uh, I sold a BVM to my friend Vlad, who uh, owns the Time Sleuth. We, and I, I gave him a good price. I liked the guy and I sold him a BVM uh, 14, uh, I want to say E1E or something like that, something of that ilk. With the, it's got the controls down either side. And can be rack mounted, and I sold to him for a hundred bucks oh. because uh, I'm a good guy. You are a good guy. Um, he's me virtue signaling. <laughs> he much like you. Or you uh, yeah, you. Yeah, I friends. got to know Vlad, and I got to know him, and he's a cool guy. And I was happy that uh, someone would be using this for retro gaming, so I'm, I'm happy for that. But he got it, and he called me, and he's like, "Bro, uh, the, it turns off sometimes," and because it, it's that thing where I'm like, 
oh, I gave you this fucking deal of the century. And it's not his fault, not him, right. but, you know, the time you give out the deal of the century is also the time that this thing's now got intermittent power problems as well. And you think like, oh, if I... No good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it's certainly not his fault, you know. He just would like a monitor to work. And I think in the end, I went over there and I swapped the whole power board, the whole card. And thankfully, that uh, seemed to solve his problem. And I've still got that board. I think probably, you know, I haven't even looked further into it because I don't use the 14s very much. But uh, thankfully, because I was facing down the barrel of... Because not only uh, did I give it to him, but Vlad lives in uh, the suburb, the other side of town, in an old Russian uh, apartment building called a Khrushchevki, which is these typical Soviet buildings. And he lives like on the sixth floor. And here I am carrying this 14-inch heavy. <laughs> those thing. are heavy, like, no, too. I, those are just... I'm not taking it home. I really hope the car... Yeah. yeah. Those 14 BVMs are like 60 pounds if they're fully loaded. Mm. They're, they're pretty heavy, which I don't know. I mean, kilograms, I don't know how that is, but that's, that's a lot. I mean, that's not nothing. That's so let me get what I so what I was up to this week. Still right here in front of me. So I scored ah, cool. myself this oh, nine yeah. inch uh, BVM. Beautiful. Put it there. I do have a whole video coming out on this, which probably will be Ooh. out by the time we're here. What does that so anyway, say? What nice. does that say up at the top uh, on the other side of the Trinitron? Yeah, what does that say? What? Serial digital interface. Wow, so, SDI. Yeah, but they. I've never seen. Uh, I've never seen one with that monikered or like advertised up there, which maybe it is. Maybe it's on there more often. But the bezels I've messed with have not had that. But everything else looks the same. Yeah, that's a good one. HR Trinitron. That means it probably has a little bit Doesn't better tube. The, the tube should be a little bit better because I have the. Um, uh, there's like a two, uh, there's like a 250 and a 450 TV line tube for that size, I believe. So there's a good chance with it says HR, it might have the higher line count one in there. Because I actually have that's the BVM. I actually oh, have yeah, a, a is, nine inch PVM sitting right here as well, um, and it doesn't say HR. It just says so. Maybe it's a lower line count. It's not a PVM. BVM Sometimes, thing. It's a line yeah. Count thing. It's it, it, so, Sony really didn't. It was funny. Sony really didn't. Uh, didn't. Uh, they didn't like consistent yeah they weren't really consistent with that hmm. so i've got this uh yeah i found it locally uh it was a classifieds ad um it said 50 euros for this month and it said un no, turns on but untested and i went oh okay fair enough and when i rolled up to the place it was actually a second hand not second hand a repair electronics repair store that you might take your mac or they could do soldering or other things like that, that sort of shop. So I sat there for a moment thinking, wait, why does the electronics repair store not test it? You know, like this is this, I'm, I'm kind of assuming at this stage, like it means untested means it doesn't work, but we'll say untested, right? <laughs> and like, is it really I, untested? Already, <laughs> right. Well, untested, but yeah, because isn't that, isn't that or a just thing un to say unfixable, un basically? Like, I couldn't yeah, fix this thing, so it's untested. Yeah, <laughs> I thought untested was sort of like Craigslist code word for it doesn't, you know, I don't know. You, yeah, I don't I, want I, no Untested just basically means, yeah, I don't know if it works. It could work, but I've not been able so to I, test it. I, uh, think. I went in there and they were very nice and I'd already prearranged with the lady. I said, can I come and test it? She said, sure. So I brought my mister in. Uh, it's pretty easy to just fire it up. I just say, you plug that in the wall. Um, and the, now... To answer the question about uh, the, um, you know, is it untested or something? Because then I started to think like, mm, all right. But let's look at the, the, where are we go? 
This mm-hmm. this has this model has no on-screen display. Yeah, the smaller ones never do. But right, except for the, the L there. series does, but Oh, well, the L, yeah. But not these so older it, ones. Um oh actually you're right because that PVM that's on the floor is a 9L2. It does it have an image. Doesn't it? Right, and it does it'll say 480i. Yeah. I remember that yeah. at least as 480i uh, power that. But the thing is because this doesn't have an on-screen display and the way that you change uh, the inputs and the, is those six buttons that are at the bottom there it can be difficult really to figure out which one is which very difficult and <laughs> unless you know like oh i definitely this like if you're worried that your device your console isn't outputting it could be really hard because you don't know have i pressed the right combination have i gone through all the permutations of that um so that's the reason why uh when i saw it was this model i understood why uh it wasn't tested because, I mean, the guy was like, oh, yeah, you could run a signal in on BNC. Oh, okay. But also, even if he turned it on, I can completely understand not being able to navigate those no buttons. No way. That's... Pressing them a few times and going, whoa, whoa, it's done. If you don't... I turned it on, yeah. pressed some things, and he was like, oh, shit, it works. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you don't know, that that's a classic with those, at least here. You used to be able to buy those on eBay pretty regularly in that same mm-hmm. condition. Uh, I bought a couple of them, but then, you know, they, they turn out to have something wrong with them. But um, sometimes, too, it would just be, like, untested. And the same thing with, like, the 1341 that I was telling you about. Those 1340 models, they don't have any menu. And they are often a lot of times listed as untested, or you'll find them as untested because it's almost the same process of pushing buttons. It's just a little bit bigger. So it's very often that those... Uh, people don't know how to only hook up. If, even if you know how to hook something up into them, can you get it to select the right input? So some questions I have for you about this monitor, Steve. The first one is, so it's a, a nine inch BVM. Actually, I don't know how many, I don't know how many TV lines because this 9044D doesn't have a manual. I can find something close. Okay. But I might be able to find all, something on it. So yeah, it's a 9044D. Well, go ahead and continue with your question. Um, yeah. Yeah. First of all, um, I mean, 50 euros. So what's that like 60 bucks or something like that? Is that, how do you feel about that price with the price? Considering that it works. I think that's a great price because, um, those are really condition dependent, those ones. And if it's, if it works well and the tubes clean, you're talking about something that should be worth about uh, at a minimum, if it's cleaned up like 300 bucks. So that, over into euros. I'm not sure how many, how much. Uh... Uh, I think they're not too far off. Let's let's type that in. But as you say, the 300 okay. is what it would be if this unit was in the United States of America in that market. Well, we were it commenting could, because they're so more. separate. It could go for oh, yeah. more depending on the condition. I'm actually looking at the American version statistics on this monitor. And... It's. I'm not exactly seeing the, um, the tube line count just yet. For oh yes, it is here. I found it. It's the 450 TV line tube. So that's actually worth at least a hundred bucks more. So you did really good on that one. So 450. What would the what's the other ones then? 250. 250. Oh, so wow. that's yeah half. It's a lot sharper than the other monitors are. That's a really good one. Yeah. Like, uh, nice. So I'm, I'm re- and I, the video looks and good. And it's a BVM. Um, so yeah. It's a BVM. I've decided I don't want to, because the grid was pretty much perfect. It was. That's, that's I'm, a I'm, perfect one for your I'm bench. I'm real happy to not fuck with it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Great. That's because it has. To test and footage. S video. 
compo uh, composite, RGB, and component all on a 19-inch screen that I can just... Oh, you mean the eight? Yeah, the nine-inch. Sorry, nine-inch. Yeah, 19-inch. Yeah, that's not... Yeah. Yeah. Yes, um, no, that's now, great. That's a great deal. I mean, I would have bought that too. And even if it wouldn't have been working right, I would have uh, probably been fine with this question. <laughs> The next question about it is I have, because I think I have another 904DD. Uh, I've got, oh God, I've got two more, at least two more nine inch monitors already. And I think both of them are having constant or intermittent problems with color on the composite or S video signal. Okay. And I read some what happens? Does the color go out? Color's just out. Uh, black and white, fine. And it's not an NTSC PAL thing. Like it's, there should be color. I have the other 9044D I have works RGB component, great, solid, looks good, um, but I can't get color out of the other two inputs. And the Googling that I did on this was that they think there's, uh, uh, it's a, apparently a, a known issue and cold solder joints on yes. maybe the deflection board would be their first thing to check. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, that's going to give you a, just, it's just a task to sit there and, um, reflow like solder saying, yeah. on those boards and mm. it's a lot of uh just there's a lot of points there it's i've done it before i have a video from a couple of years back where i've done it before where it's it could not even be the deflection board it could be the color board which is the opposite side so you're ending up i'd actually recommend that you reflow solder on the color board first sounds logical and uh, maybe, you know, if you wanted to try to diagnose and find it, you could use a meter, right? Mm, that would be a little more, more difficult, but you can find where on that board the color is supposed to go and then okay. try to track continuity and see mm -hmm. if you can finally figure out where it breaks. And there's maybe because there's also a possibility that a capacitor on that line is dead and then it would just also cause the continuity to be lost so you're either looking at probably a capacitor dead or a uh and i hate to say this because it sounds kind of uh bad but that is such a common issue and uh, it's so much work that i uh depending on the model i had a ton of these um eight zero four zeros which you know in your area it would be called a nine zero four zero and those are the most second most stripped down model of that monitor you're looking at it's pretty much the same hardware but it's um it's half the parts aren't populated and it's just going to give you one input for s video and composite but it does the same thing where the color board loses color and rather than fix it i've always just taken the tubes flybacks and power supplies out of them and frame and used them to rebuild uh <laughs> the rgb monitors that have a bad tube in them so it's like eh, just for you know because I, I i probably picked up uh five of those eight zero four zeros over the years and they and half of them the color just like you'll watch it it'll just go straight to black and white like you say it those only do composite and s video so it just happens on those and then um, so yeah, but you're more than likely looking at cold solder joints, uh, or a capacitor out too. And, and so some, some, some board work there for you. Something Lewis. for the future. So at least now I've got this one. I know it's good. And look, if one comes up locally, 50 bucks, I'm like, I'm going to go grab it. You know, like, Oh yeah, you I, should. I, I went down and when I plugged it in and it worked and the guy went, Oh, I should ask more than 50 euros for this. And, I, and like within a heartbeat, I had the 50 euros in his hand. I'm like, no, oh, yeah, mate, like there you go. We're done. I'm out of here. <laughs> I, 
I, I did I did that one time when I went and looked at a, a monitor for um a company and it was it wasn't even a 240p model it was a 480p you know an up model and it had uh rgbs or rgb hv sync bnc's in the back of it and this company had been using it as a barco is the brand and they had been using it as a professional color uh monitor and it, i mean it's just like a huge i'm reading about them they got ridiculous line counts really nice monitor but um i didn't know if it would natively do 240p i knew it would do 480p and up and so i went to the place and i was like yeah can i test it and i brought a genesis along and i was like trying to plug it in i was like yeah it's not taking the 240p so uh i don't really want it and they were wanting like 50 bucks for it and then um i was like thanks for letting me look at it and then i went back like the next day and looked online at the listing it had been updated to say like 500 dollars for the monitor retro gaming monitor where they <laughs> probably just gotten on google and were like oh this guy he was gonna try to get us for this and then i was like it's not even the right monitor but they just jumped all full in Oh, I want to sell it for five hundred now, and I was just laughing, looking at the thing. It was like, pfft. it's my favorite. You know me already. I'm just sending you links. I'm like, look at this, Steve. Fifty bucks. I send you some links to my local classified. I'm like, oh, he's dreaming. Come on, mate. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. So, whew. So that was. Um, but yeah, so that was some cool pickups. I had a couple of a uh, couple of pickups too this week that I thought I'd okay. just show you Do really tell. quick Do if tell. it's okay. Because look, yeah, look we, I was we, wearing the Atari shirt. We were laughing about it. When we got started today, but um, I wanted to bring this up a little bit because I just saw this news that Atari had re is re-releasing some of these old games that they didn't release. There's three of them, right? Okay. And uh, did you hear that story? I they might be re-releasing on cartridge, right? Actual yes, on an original cartridge. Well, I, I started to read more about it, and it's ridiculous. They're they're only releasing 1983 copies. 1983 copies of each because that's the year they were supposed to come out Mass and it's three scarcity it's three games and yes and so um i wanted to actually i got an article from forbes here that tells me everything it's yars returns which is like the yars revenge uh sequel which was actually a pretty good game for that old system and then there's a aqua venture which was some silly sea hunt game where you just go to the bottom of the ocean to find fish and treasure and then another game called saboteur which is trying to stop aliens from launching a warhead that will destroy the galaxy now the real thing that like got me going on this was the um what they were offering and <laughs> so for 49.99 us you can get just a cartridge just the standard cartridge mm -hmm. and then they will have limited edition releases for $150, $149.99. These uh, deluxe editions will include uh, the cartridge, a poster, a printed instruction manual, possibly additional material, a collector's pen, a badge, and a digital copy, and a certificate of authenticity. But I was laughing because $150 doesn't even get you a, a box, right? So I went, to the, I went to that game show a couple weeks back, and they had a guy there who makes update updated Atari games. And he has for years, his name's uh, his company's called champ games. I bought one of his games, his newest game, and it was 60 bucks. And look what he made. I was just going right. to try to show you off. This is, this is from Atari age. So you can order this, mm -hmm. but this is the box. Okay. okay. I, I, and I was like 60 bucks, man, that's kind of a lot for an Atari game. But at the same time, I understood because he's a small time 
game maker. He probably makes a couple hundred of these, and sixty dollars is understandable. But he came. He gave me the box, full box, glossy art. Uh, of course, the cartridge. It's came with a full like oh, nice. quality, awesome manual. I mean, look at this manual. It gives it's good. Like, it looks like it heavy, gives you a, heavy paper, heavy stock. It's heavy stock paper. It gives you like uh, storyline, so you can actually get into this game more, which you had to use your imagination, you know, cool. Atari stuff. And then a poster. So I was like, well, what the heck? This is like such a money grab. Um, it is, and I guess by when Atari, made, but when they've made only it was funny, 1, so, 2000, they know they're going to sell them all. So it's you know. yeah, so it's all collector stuff. But they're um, so I don't know. I got that. I also have gotten I have so much Atari stuff. A little quick one here. This is something I finally picked up. Have you seen one of these? A Harmony cart? No, what's that? It is the ROM cart for the Atari twenty six hundred. Oh. So. It's uh, and it's really a great ROM cart. There's you don't have to download any files other than your ROMs. You stick them on the cart, and like all the firmware and software is already programmed inside here. So it was literally one of the most user friendly. Uh, is that plug and play uh, a new product uh, or a product's been on the market? No, for a while? this is like ten years old because okay. I got, I paid sixty bucks. That's another thing. I paid sixty bucks and I got this. It play every Atari twenty six hundred game ever made, mm -hmm. and it came with another nice high quality manual. With a little leaflet flyer for sixty bucks, right. and um, I always uh, there's one game that I've been looking f f to play all, and it's called Hero. Have you heard of that one? No, I haven't. No. So it's just it's a little like rescue game. You got a little you know two D character with like a jet pack and helicopter pack on, and he runs around and rescues guys and levels. Really fun game, mm. but if you go try to find it now, it's like I, I saw a, grin, a grungy one at the show. An original copy is like sixty or seventy dollars for a crappy looking a twenty six hundred cart. So I thought I'd rather just do that to try to play the game than try to chase down a lot of these rare mm. games you only play for like five or ten minutes on Atari. Um, and then I did go stop by my Goodwill for one last thing. Unless you wanted, um, you had any questions about this Atari stuff? No, what was I, I think it's, it's interesting just, about the the Atari stuff is is interesting because I mean they just straight up know they need some money. The collectors will buy it. This is a collectible. It's not an investment. It's just okay. I need this, and they know there's enough autistic nerds out there. Be like, I need this in my life. <laughs> there's right an there, yeah, and with I think respect, they've probably with got respect, that number. Autistic nerd, with love. They've almost got that number nailed down probably perfectly because any yeah. more than two thousand would be probably stock left on hand for them. They're going to have the crazy people and maybe even some hopeful, you know, some scalpers probably right, grab some of turn them, turn them around, um, and I don't know. It's yeah, got a. I don't it's know, already it's got, got a high price and not much. End, not end. I, look, I'm not one of these people that thinks the speculation bubble is going to end. I'm not one of these things that thinks that the market's going to go to zero. There still has to be some market cap. But anyway, um, so with your 2600, yeah. are you still using one of the 2600s that you modded yourself from back in the day? Or what are you playing? Yeah, on? yeah, I've got, I've got a couple 2600s. If I go for a composite... Um, television or i mean rf television and i use the regular rf i have a cool four switch sears 2600 mm. that i've refurbished and it's all original i did add a cool little led indicator light on it to tell you when it's turned on mm -hmm. but other than that it's just been refurbished um, and i've had that one for a long time and then i've got the one that i've rgb modded which is funny, RGB modded and S video modded, and I don't even know where the RGB cable is it anymore for it. I've I've lost it years ago, but it's literally pointless because it's looks just as good in S video for Atari. Mm -hmm. It's it's just there's no there's not. I mean, to me, I can't really see much difference between the S video quality 
on something that you know something that old there's not a lot of detail in it already it it doesn't need to be overly sharpened so i just use that one for s video if i want something on a different better resolution but i I like atari on rf too so true it's all um, part of it hey didn't we that's what i've been using while we're talking about rf we both found i turned you that link this week to the rf modulator for nine inch bvms and pvms that's so weird. I've I've seen I've seen that thing in um, the like brochures as an accessory mm. for a BVM, but I've never actually seen one. There was also one even for like the bigger models. They have a whole base for like the twenty inch PVMs of the eighties that you could add an RF tuner to it. I was trying to pull one up here. I don't know whether it's gonna. This is some real dodgy lo-fi here. <laughs> but, so if you can see on, yeah, the, on my go. screen right now, it's a whole yeah. unit that will sit under about a nine-inch PVM. It has RF on the back and um, has then an out. So it's a separate unit and it has a yeah. RF jack in and has a, a composite out, which I think you're supposed to chain into your uh, laptop. So, so your PVM and it, I could see them. Okay. Uh, where's the one on the back? Um Wait, I'll bring up this one because this will show the back. So we... Yeah, it's got B and C stuff, right? right. If we look at, look okay. at the back, you can see there's an input and then an output. What? I can't tell just from the resolution there. What is oh, yeah. the, um, is it a B and C? I can't remember. Is it still a B and C on the input for the RF? Uh, it is, no, not a B and C. Nope, it's a regular okay. consumer like a, like aerial a RF. jack. Yeah, regular RF. Oh, is it is it coax or is it like just a regular uh, AV? Coax. It's input? coax. Coax. So you got to screw something into it. Wait, like well, the. I think so. It's hard to tell. You know, the coax is where the one has just a single wire, and then it's uh, it's like you have oh, to spin. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think screw now I know what there. you mean. No, it's uh, an air like a stick. Like it is a plug. Like you would like expect an RCA plug. You, not RCA. Like you would expect an RF plug in any consumer TV. Okay. Okay. That. It's yes, not a screw okay, in. Yes, okay. I know. Yeah. I kind of now I know what you mean. By yeah. The screw. Yeah. Okay. It's the, so it has that yeah. as input, and then it's got line out next to it with a BNC for video and one RCA for your mono audio, and it also takes a battery. I see as well. Yeah. Well, I guess so that you could do that on the with. Go. Could you imagine? Could you imagine having like all those battery chargers? So you it's could have much. two batteries. A, what if you had to have three batteries? I'm or looking something? at this one. Oh, yours is got, blocked off. It's only got the, uh, yeah, I don't have, this one doesn't have a battery, and I've only got the DC, yeah. which most of them have. Yes, and I think that they might have even had a DC power pack with batteries probably in that, so you could just plug that up and go. Yeah. So that was very I have yeah. seen people, so if, uh, here's something too, if the internal AC power supply fails on those models, I've actually seen people use and convert 12-volt DC power supplies from like old laptops and just plug them into those prongs on the back of that bvm and and it powers on without because the it's it'll use either power supply it'll use either power support uh source that's a good tip in the that's a good tip i don't think yeah. people are thinking so if, about try to use that other dc jack yeah. on the back so that's uh yeah that's kind of a trick on there um and uh so yeah that's cool i mean i i i i'd just be more interested in seeing the um how I just so it looks like it's just converting it to composite yep. and then sending it through. Yep. So I wonder if it has any cool features. It looked like it had some buttons on the front yeah, stuff. Yeah, so. let's. Uh... It's it's definitely, and I wonder if it does anything to like you know how uh, 
depending on what your area is, uh, your RF signal, if you're like in New York City or a highly uh, highly populated area, there's so many different signals coming in that it interfere with just the signal RF signal. I wonder if there's any technology in that device that like, since you'd be used to a bunch of signals in a pro environment, if it was, if it does anything to help that RF signal kind of limit interference in it. Good question. But maybe that's just interfering, you know, wishful thinking. Ah, wait, where did I? Uh, oh, you bastard. I had it up and then I clicked the wrong button. <laughs> well, it's a, you know, either way, I think it's a cool, uh, it would be more fun to use that and see so it's to test our bu buttons. Stuff. There's uh, some LCD on the front, I assume, to show you your channel yeah. or something like that. It seems like a fairly straight up and down device. I guess it's just because, like, I'd never seen it before. And I was like, oh shit, there's right. something about BVMs and pro monitors that I've never seen. Ah, and you gotta, <laughs> you know, this is my new obsession. Yeah. It's it's definitely more exciting to me than like the SDI stuff. I'd rather mess with RF on them than SDI at all most of the time. At least there's some gaming relevance, so you could take one of your old things. How yeah. would you? Well, there are a lot of people out there who are like, oh, do I get my? You know, a lot of people still have questions. How do I get my RF on HDMI? How do I get my RF on on something? But that unit was I could get one shipped from Germany already in the EU, so very good. But it was about a hundred, hundred twenty euros shipped. I was like. That's pretty. That's expensive. Fun, you know. but yeah, ah. yeah. For like for like thirty bucks, fun or something. Yeah, you don't want to just yeah. spend your you know that much on it. Mm -hmm. I had two more items that I got. I'll show yeah, you real yeah. quickly from Goodwill. So you know we talk about thrift stores. I did show you. I uh, picked up a Xbox 360 controller. Oh, nice, nice, nice. For two dollars oh. and ninety nine cents. Oh wireless Bargain. so i needed one of those i know and then i found this i love getting these old school uh not even that old this is just some boxed Neverwinter pc Nights, game yeah. and neverwinter nights 2 uh 299 and the only reason i bought this one too is it had everything and it. it's some limited edition it's kind of silly it came with even uh what was this thing i was gonna sh like these little <laughs> terrible good versus evil oh like God rings you're supposed ring. to wear in a, cool. a play mat and i was laughing and i was like yeah, yeah you gotta this get is that when they... three bucks so yeah i was like three bucks i'll take it and i might actually this is this game i never played it i think it's like a Baldur's gate style uh you know almost not as good as diablo kind of game from 2006 so i thought maybe i'd hook it up to my um uh, i've got a pentium Pentium 4 PC, you know, that I restored, and it's so it would be perfect for that. So that's, uh, I was like, I could hook that up. I even got it, I, uh, I added a new card to my Pentium 4 where it has HDMI out in the video card. <laughs> and so it's like, it's like this really old, so I could, I could even do capture out of it. I was going to try to play around and see how that oh, worked. Well, I thought, Steve, uh, looking at the timer, we're at about 43 minutes. So why don't we just jump into the questions? I mean, topics are just, yeah, that'd be to good keep idea. Us going. So, uh sure got, so so the idea dear listeners who are listening at home is that steve and i were asking for questions on our twitter and in the comments uh so if you are listening to this and you have questions about i don't know any of the crap we're talking about but maybe specifically crts monitors all the stuff that steve and i like to talk about i think just write them in the comments of this video i review all the comments and we'll find it when yeah. i when i'm so popular guys now they'll be like oh i had too much input i can't possibly find them like 
it's cool. Wait. Yeah, we can. Uh, I think that's cool. Yeah, we'll we can. I think that if you if you've definitely listened to this point in the show, and you have a question, don't hesitate to put it down below. And we'll you know it might be a couple episodes before we get to it, but if it's a good, sincere, good question, we would definitely. Uh, do our best to get you a good answer yeah. on here. So, okay, we got some. You got one first, or you want me to fire away? Or Why don't you go ahead and start, and then we'll finish sure. out with the one I got in case people want to really stay around for the long, boring talk on Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about convergence. <laughs> this is our big, big yeah. stay to the That's end. That's a question. Uh, yeah, stay till the end if you want to hear the convergence, convergence question. Talk. So, uh, there was a quick one from uh, Lou, who I interviewed from Lou's Retro Source, and yeah. just a quick one. Uh, cool uh, channel. He is. He's a very cool dude. Um, is there any way to easily determine if a CRT can be RGB modded? Are there any specific versions of the jungle chip I should be looking out for? And my kind of response yeah. was, not really. That was kind of the point yeah. of our talk. Well, no, th- there is. Wait, there okay, is. Yep. There is one. And I, this is one of the questions I actually read ahead of time and I was thinking about it. I was like, yes, there I was Because I was like, no, there's not. Oh, wait, no, yes, there is. The way now it's it's going to be hard to look for a specific television unless you know that you know. But if the way is to get the service manual for the television, so because in the service manual it will tell you the jungle chip, and you will be able to look for RGB blanking. Those are the four things you need. You need RGB out. It will say it on individual pins, and then you need a blanking out, and that more than likely means you could. Uh, RGB mod it so that's the best thing I can tell anybody is if and that's real easy to do you can do that before you even get a TV right if you think you want a RGB model or mod a model you can go get try to find the service manual if you can't find the service manual then maybe try to move on to a different television that you can find a service manual from but the service manual is your best friend right then with that makes sense my so that would be the biggest... My broad tip. advice to Lou was also, I w- only from my own personal experience, I mostly have worked with consumer Trinitron TVs. And I would broadly say uh, mid, somewhere around the mid-90s, maybe even to the mid-2000s, what I have seen at least, better chance of having something like in there. But I don't know Samsung, yes. I don't know NEC or other brands. Well, there's, th- it's weird too because there are certain models that... Um, might not have the right RGB chip where you have to do an S video mod like we had talked about mm. too, where it might, and those are specific to Sony. Uh, but again, all that will be definitely in the service manual. And yes, there is good rule though, that most Trinitrons from uh, the early to mid nineties into the later nineties are going to be good candidates. The black shell, lots of those. If uh, we kind of talked about this too, though, if it already has component in it, it's um it could still be modded some of them but then it's a little bit it could be a little bit uh trickier because you're getting into a newer tv with more stuff in it and it's a little bit uh i feel personally uh pointless if if you know to to go to that extent unless you just i i think that you're, you're going to find a better candidate a lot in those if you're looking for one specifically to RGB mod, look for the Trinitrons that already have just, you know, the best one would be one that already has like two composites and one S video in it. That way you can have at the end of the day, RF composite S video and RGB in one single TV. Mm. Okay. That's good. All right. All this, uh, this is good stuff. And I'm sure people will appreciate that. That's because it is hard to nail this one down. 
Uh, all right, let's let's go. Yeah. More questions. So thanks, Lou, for that one. Uh, yeah, next thanks, up, Lou. we've got Hydrozan, uh, who says he has a consumer. He has a, a JVC, I think it's 28-inch, something like that. Uh, we have the full model here. Okay. And he says it blows fuses. Uh, where would you start? So I presume it turns on and, well, blows fuse. So again, it's a difficult thing to die. Does he mean the house fuse? Or fuses in the device? Matt, no, no, I'm sure there's fuses in the power okay. supply and in the um, television itself. So most of the time, the fuses on the power supply will be on the high voltage. So I would first tell them to look at the power supply itself. Uh, if it's a separate power supply, it will be isolated from the rest of the board. Uh, or isolated on its own board, like a PVM has its own power supply. But... Some uh, models incorporate that power supply within the same main board. If it's that case, then you'll be able to see tracks on it that mark it out as the power block, and it'll generally say hot on it or power supply on it. And I would start looking at components in there. The good thing about the power supply is there's a lot less components to check if something is wrong in generally. So... Um, I would go through there and take a multimeter or first I'd visually inspect that power supply area and see if there's any components that look to be gone bad. Uh, and then barring that nothing is visibly bad and it's still blowing fuses, uh, you got to figure out like which few, sometimes they have multiple fuses. So is it blowing right when it comes into the TV? If that's the case, then uh, something's going on between that's a very small area to check. You, you could have a, broken wire or something the wire could be grounding against something and causing a bridge effect and shorten out um, but if it's generally it's probably going to be the one that's after that where the power is going through the power supply and then coming out the other end that's usually this the blown fuse uh, if that's because of an issue within the tv in that case just isolate your check to the components that are like between the plug and the wall and that fuse you don't need to go beyond that fuse because nothing's getting beyond that fuse and so you're you know you're only troubleshooting at least probably 10 percent of the crt at least at that point and then if it comes down worse comes to worse you should recap it and then you can pull out a multimeter and you can test the resistors and the diodes while they are in series with any multimeter just about uh, so you can check all those parts and hopefully you'll find what the problem is because it could be again any one of those parts could be bad could be bad diode could be the diodes do fail and um, that would be kind of an issue so or a cap and uh that's and uh, that's kind of like the diagnosis process that i'd kind of go good through to know. i mean that's your that. process it's hard to know exactly what it's going to be here and like what you said i i think i before my 14 inch pvm burnt in my car uh, I do. I, I did recap the the power the PSU on that. It didn't fix my problem, but I do concur with what you mm -hmm. said that P, uh, power supplies in these things um, not so many, and it, it can sometimes be look if you got some weird power uh, issues that you're just pulling your hair out of. Well, there's not that many on a power supply usually, so it might be one of those steps. Yeah, even um, even the PVM's power supply now, not a BVM. BVM's power supply will have a lot in it. Uh, but a PVM's power supply, it does have a considerable amount of components in it altogether, but it's not nearly as much as the rest of the monitor together. And if you do have to recap it, um, most of those are under 15 caps. They could be as little as, I've seen pro monitors with as little as six 
Uh, heck, the the eight inch PVMs uh, they have a power supply that's inside there, and it's only got four capacitors in it. But one of those fours will go bad, and it will cause the power supply. Right. And to again, not work. they will. Uh, so I, I've learned from watching your videos that the those power supply caps will often go bad because they're around the heat. That's where the heat is being generated. Yeah. Exactly. Especially uh, some of these units that would have been left on forever. Now, um, when you're looking at like a consumer grade television, that's probably because either the, uh, depending on the age of the TV, since it's a consumer grade TV, I would think it would be because more than likely a component was cheaper to begin with. So it could have just, it could just wear out, right? It's just like a you could visibly not see anything wrong with a capacitor on something like that and test it. It could be just flat gone and be completely dried out internally and not do anything. And you wouldn't know the difference from the outside um, because they would have used cheaper parts for that. And I'd also check the solder integrity. We talked about um, cold solder and solder joints again. So that's, um, that, that's always a, a possibility because again, they're using lower quality solder on the manufacturing of these televisions than compared to Sony where they know these things are going to be running or any any professional, I mean, Ikigami, any of the professional ones where they know they're going to be powered on for hundreds of thousands of hours possibly. All right, cool. So let's go. we got a few more. So have you got, you've got your talk about convergence. Have you got any other questions besides that? Yeah. What else? Just no, that was just the, I only saved the one question this week. So if you have any more, got a few yeah, more short ones away, here. Can, uh, um... Robbie, Robbie JVC okay. is asking, have you, uh, in your experience, do you come across many 16 by nine standard def CRTs in your lookings? Uh, not very often. Funny enough, somebody did bring by an Ikigami 16 by nine, 24 inch pro custom, uh, analog, excuse me, analog only monitor. So, Unfortunately, it was custom made and it's got like a hundred parts bad on it, I think. So it's not, I, I can't get it to start. Uh, it's have to be a lot of replacing and troubleshooting in this one. But I do not come across a lot of widescreen CRTs whatsoever, at least not here. Uh, I, I can't even, other than that one and like the BVMD series ones and A series ones that are professional and um th those are all professional ikigami technically is professional too i just don't see uh those tvs I, I don't know what happened to them i don't know if there's just not not a lot of them were sold it was just such a small mo time frame mm. right it's a small time frame and they weren't great like from they don't have a great reputation and i don't like i mean here's a secret i don't like widescreen crts yeah. i'm not i mean I know that is this that just might, some dogma or it, it's some, okay. you got some it's just no it's just it's just me I like I like four by three I don't know <laughs> okay. well you're right there's a very narrow like, window I time. like that I like that resolution uh, the problem the problem is when you try to put um, even if you have a good monitor and you try to put 16 by 9 content on it like a 20 L5 you're losing you're losing resolution when it goes down to widescreen. You're losing 200 lines of resolution. The monitor tells you in the um, processing oh, really? the picture. It goes from an 800 line picture down to a 600 line resolution. Mm. So you're losing that resolution. 
you're losing screen real estate. Um, I just like, and I know it sounds weird. I just like the whole four by three aspect ratio. I always have. And, uh, I think, I think that that just makes, that's what CRTs are good at. Just like widescreen stuff. 16 by nine is going to be better on a, a good widescreen television, but I just, I just not seeing those very many. Watch uh, like DVDs or movies or something like that on. But you're right. I mean, first mm-hmm. of all, one thing you said was the the time that they made 16 by 9 CRTs very short. So by the time they get to the period, they're like, oh, we should make a 16 by 9 version of this. We're already thinking of, well, should it have higher? That's why a lot of them have got 480p, 720 even or something like that. It's in that weird transition phase before flat panels really kicked in. I think I would... Uh, I would like one if if one came up in my area that is useful even if it was a big ass one that I needed a trolley for I would I would get it I would get it because not only is uh, um, 480p a problem or if it's got you know with this because this person said standard def specifically but yeah standard def be yeah because it's not even that much put in standard def that's in 16 what I um, what I would love what okay so when I see them locally in standard def um, they are usually, 99% of the time, these 100 hertz models or 120 hertz models for your area. Okay. So 50 hertz PAL area. And uh, for people who are watching, the explanation is that um, the, the technology, when you see 100 hertz or 120 hertz on a CRT, what it's doing is doubling the signal, displaying it twice as, as fast to try to, uh, and it's specifically for motion, for video, to make that smoother and but that um interpolation i don't know what it's called that doubling it's not just a line doubling it's something else happening there it's running at 120 well it's kind of like similarly like fps now everybody's concerned with like your frames per second this was kind of how they used the hardware to you know increase that you know try to increase that almost Mm. same effect try to add so manipulate the image to add more because you're adding literally more visual Mm. content on a screen twice so it's as fast do, by design it's got to do processing on that uh picture when it's coming in it's doubling it or or doing that processing so that's a problem um so i found that mo- oh well, you mean for the, lag yeah, so and that, stuff as i have understood i have personally not tested them myself from what i read those 100 120 hertz sets are not good for 240p content uh they in- typically will interpret it anyway as uh 480i but i've heard of some that do it fine but there is some processing that's going on. So look, there can be a 100 hertz set that works good and is fine, but I've come to understand apparently more often than not, the 100 is not. When I see 100 hertz, I'm, I turn down the offer. Well, that's a good thing to look for, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't think, I can't think of a single standard def widescreen television that I've ever hmm. come across in the five years I've been like looking at i can't think of a single one that um not i mean no one's even offered to, no one said hey i even got one that i want to get worked on or anything it's just again what are you even uh what are you even accomplishing with a 16 by 9 analog picture because it it's yeah i don't even know it's like weird i don't even know what the um I think I could watch maybe I could watch there, DVDs. If it's watch my Buffy box set, like well, yeah, like a four. What is a? I'm trying to think of like a a, a definitive 480i uh, 
movie that I would want that's in like widescreen. It's like, oh, they've released, but it's like get dancing with the wolves on widescreen VHS and hope it's a good copy or something. I I went to the, I was looking at the VHS I always look at the VHS tapes at Goodwill and I almost bought one but half the time now you have to look at the tape yeah, itself and cuz it's uh you get in there and then like mold is growing on the tapes <laughs> I actually went and took this I showed you I didn't bring it down here I showed you that VCR I bought you know and I was trying to test it with a tape I was going to buy and so I put it in there and I'm like, oh, the VCR's not working because it's like making these noises and it spits the tape out. And the tape's just ripped into pieces and like ripped it apart. And I look at the tape and it's just like gunked with gray mold and it's probably not even turning. And I'm uh, so I was like, oh, well, I got to throw this tape away and then go. I went and got a good tape that I could see was in good shape and it was working perfectly. But it's. Uh, yeah, I don't know what exactly you're chasing on nostalgia there, unless your grandparents had a real fancy analog widescreen television growing up or something. You have a specific experience there. Uh, but yeah. if anybody does know anything about it, definitely let us know with some comments below and what you think. If there's a specific model that you know of, definitely uh, put it down there, and, and we'll research it and talk about it again. That's fine with me. All right, we got, some, one. we got one more. I got one, uh, a, a longer explanation, and you've got one. Okay. So let's, we're just at the hour, but I think we'll do these yes. two more questions, and then we're... We're good. So yeah, the first one fine. is, cool. I get the, yeah. really what we're trying to say is, can you give an explanation of what the um, the black film, the black stuff on the back of a tube is? I believe it's called Aquadag. Yes. Uh, so it's that you pull the dag. Dag. Um, that's a rude word. And that's a rude. That means the stuff that hangs off a sheep's ass <laughs> in New Zealand. A dag, yeah. Is it, a bit of shit is it? hanging off a sheep's ass <laughs> in New Zealand. Oh, it might. That's a yeah. the dag oh, on a yeah. sheep's ass. <laughs> <laughs> I think here they call it a dingleberry, but <laughs> so, so uh, but yes, stuff? absolutely. Yeah. So that's a great question. The great question. I actually was reading about this uh, the other day because it's uh, it's actually quite interesting, more interesting than I thought it would be for a CRT nerd. So the dag is actually on the back of the tube, right? You can see it when you're working, and it's not all over the back of the tube. It's on a portion that excludes the anode cap and the uh, neck of the tube and kind of around that. And then, like, the rest of the back of the tube will just have this uh, gray, blackish, metallic, uh, very dull looking paint on it and that paint actually has um it's it's conductive so it's electrically conductive so on the back of the monitor it is there um to help with grounding and your cl f flow of current because there's so much electricity inside there it helps dissipate electricity that way it uh so that's why you'll notice on the back of 90 percent of crt tubes there's a metal ground strap that will go around the tube and it's just basically an exposed wire almost sometimes it's a springy wire sometimes it's just a piece of wire and it goes straight across that dag so that it uh it, it the electrons will go through the grounding and they ground out against the back of the tube too so it's you know, like that dissipation of energy happens quicker but that's not even hmm. the only thing i found out that the dag is done on the inside hmm. of the tube also so the, and the manufacturing, and this is the most important thing about it, the DAG is done on the inside of the tube, and what since it's electrically uh, conductive, what it does is it has a very specific purpose. So you have your cathode at the back of your neck board, your cathode ray gun through the tube, 
it gets its signal to push out electrons and that hits your phosphor screen and it gives you an image. But like we said, that, that electron gun is sitting out new images every, uh, you know, at its rate, whatever your hurt rate, your screen rate is, it's sending it out there. So it's what it's doing is it pushing a new image out of the screen and that other image goes away, right? It has to go away. Mm -hmm. The one you just saw. So what happens is, is the electrons are shot onto the phosphor and the way that that electron travels to get out of the tube mm -hmm. through the anode, which is your anode cap. So the electron, electron gun beams the image, it moves, it's pushed out by the image that's coming behind it, it's pushed down the tube, it travels along that conductive path easily to the anode cap, and then the high voltage goes out and is reused through the system. The, and, the, and so that's, that's the biggest thing it's doing internally, and that's why the tube will always have that on the uh, inside. The third thing it's good for, which I found this out too, was the the fact that you're dagging the internal tube and then you're dagging the outside. So we've got a bunch of sheep yep. shit on this. Dag right? away. Sheep dingleberries hanging here. <laughs> so anyway, you got this double thing. It actually, that process when you're running electricity through there, it turns it into a, a mini capacitor. You got like 0.1 microfarad capacitance happening between the between the two layers of DAG, so it actually acts as a film capacitor in the monitor and uh, helps with ripple current control a little bit. So it's uh, it's there's so much going on. I thought originally it was just to you know keep you from seeing through the tube, Three but it's there. not. It, you know, I I actually went in and researched it. it. So there's a lot of yeah, it's a lot of. Uh, a lot actually going on with that. I thought about making a whole video about it, but I just kind of set it all no, here. No, make another one. It's so good. I mean, we'll probably turn this soon, into a clip but, anyway, but make yeah. it again, yeah. Well, I thought it would be like, that would be cool. Demonstration uh, would be Demonstration showing it. some of that stuff in the tube. But yeah, so that's, and that's why if you ever mm. turn the tube off, and especially if you're like on the back, you can definitely hear that, you know, tss, that electricity coming off that. And yeah, that, that is conductive paint. That paint is meant to be conductive so, yeah, those are the three things for DAG, um, four things now since we know it's a slang so term. So if um, – I'm also looking at the question that the uh, boss ha had, uh, the user posted, and they had said that what they had inadvertently done is stripped off a lot of this paint and this film. Now, I saw that you can buy – I think you told me or you, I know you can buy this stuff. Is it possible to paint it or – Yes, there is – you can go um, – because this happens in arcade games all the time. Uh, arcade guys, they have way more bigger cojones than me when it comes to like their uh. CRT cleaning technique. I'm very like meticulous and fragile because I'm afraid that me going and doing a hardcore cleaning on one of these machines is going to yeah, sure. cause some kind of an issue. Whether it's corroding, uh, whether it's corroding a uh, mm. solder point or something. So I just don't usually take that risk, but. Uh, Arcade guys do it all the time where they'll spray the monitor down with a cleaning solution of green uh, green stuff or something, and they'll just hose it off. And then a lot of times that DAG washes off. So if you go to any arcade supplier website, they will have bottles of that that you can go in and just repaint on the same areas on the back of the tube. And as long as it's you let it sit there and dry, it'll work perfectly. Because, again, the DAG on the back is only used as that minor capacitance um that 
I don't know how much it impacts the actual performance. I think that's just something where it was like an extra um, little bit better on the end. They weren't expecting that to happen maybe, or they thought maybe it could happen. But the bigger thing is just like the grounding and the current in the back of the tube and helping it, um, you know, ground correctly. So I would just recommend if you did wash it off, go and find you a bottle of that stuff. It's got to be less than $10 and um, paint it back on there. Don't worry about and it because you won't see you, it. Do you, you have know, experience as long as it's that good if layer. The, the DAG has been taken off, does the TV still generally work? Yeah, I mean, it should still generally work. It's just... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I've I've always been really careful with it just because I've known about it. Okay. I mean, it's not like how to say, I mean, yeah, sure. But, it's there um, for a reason. It's helping something. Well, see, the thing is, is like if you already, if you already take it apart to the point where it's that dirty and you've already like gotten it off there, rather than just like reassembling the monitor or the television and uh, seeing if it makes a difference and then taking it apart again to reapply, most of the time people just go ahead while it's taken apart and reapply it and then just put it back together. Um, so yeah. be an interesting study sometime to see how actual difference. I mean, I'm sure it does make some difference. So they wouldn't have done it right. They wouldn't have just added it. And it's something that's on every single CRT tube. So it's something that has to be there. Um, also as to, I mean, maybe that's the point where, um, it does also affect the, uh, black levels or something where maybe you could see some transparency through there, possibly on some There's tubes. There's a good video for you. The future, um, take it know. off. I find an old tube, take it off and see what difference yeah. it make. Do some experiments. Yeah, it's a, that's not a bad idea, you know. Maybe we can make it transparent. Maybe we can oh, make a transparent cool. tube, so right? Hard. Ooh. Why not, right? As long yeah, as everything else works, safe. let's just see but what happens. All, we it's know a it's... good idea. Lewis, I like that. Let's get a crappy, crappy, crappy yeah. uh, 13-inch television 10 inch television nice. around here and see if we can do that future. that'd be fun okay so let's do it let's talk about okay my friend all right yeah let's do this last convergence con convergence question i got a question here from uh supporter tom watson he asked hi uh, i hope you are well i recently purchased a sony pvm 2130 qm which is a european model of the 2030 pretty much it's in good condition but has a slight split colors on the top half of the screen might you be able to help diagnose the issue? And he sent some pictures, and he's in London. So I was, um, this is a good example where I can't really look at the TV in person and uh, help out. So what he's complaining about here is when you look at your screen, and this is something that happens in that 2030 model a lot, you'll look at your screen straight on, and you notice maybe if you pull up a convergence pattern, your convergence is not that good, maybe at like the top one-fourth of the screen or like the bottom so one-fourth of the screen convergence is or when could the be three both. beams are coming together to create a color and what convergence is when the three beams are not aligned properly yes and they're not hitting correct in the same place is yes okay? right so yeah so the convergence happens is like you have red green and blue are your primary colors and then those will be mixed with intensity to make a color on the screen and those need to align or if they don't, they'll still send the same color signal. But instead of seeing like one dot with all the right color on it, you're seeing a little bit of the red over here, a little bit of the blue over here, and then a little bit of the green in the middle. So everything looks a little bit uh, blurry. It can get, you know, it makes the picture not look so good. Um, so there's two types of convergence or defined for uh, CRT. First off, you have static convergence. And what that is, is that's the convergence at more the middle 
section of the screen. So, you know, the exact center and then like go out from that for about two thirds of the screen. And then the dynamic convergence is around the edges and in your corners. Okay. So they have uh, ways to adjust this. This is all controlled from the hardware in the deflection yoke. So I've got some stuff here I want to show you. So this is this is like a standard PVM. I mean, this is a pretty good one. Pretty high-tech uh, deflection yoke here. And a lot of copper. This is what's helping produce your picture on the screen. And so what's this is wedged it's against good. you see my eyes in the middle <laughs> this is wedged against the back of your yeah, tube okay. like this and uh this magnetism is used to give you an image that looks good and square on your screen it's also used to line up those beams magnetism it's using electricity and magnetism to do this and that's why a lot of this stuff is custom and for example in this you see how someone's gone in here and added oh, all yeah. these little extra magnets oh. in here because something just wasn't right. And that's an aftermarket right. job that you noticed. Um, you I got another one here. This is, a, yeah, like so. This is when like okay. they've installed at the factory. This is not something. This is a factory installation. So like on this one, they got a couple right here too, adhesives and sometimes yeah, those and are like mag there's magnet strips in, the, in there too. In the last just to episode, add some extra saying, magnetism. Sorry, in the last episode, you were so commenting that it's very common that these TVs oh, would be tuned, would have something like this done in the factory that they have to do that straight up yeah oh yeah this is always done at some level in the factory because this has to be you know there's not a factory this you get your tube you know on uh in the frame and then you can't have like a machine you probably could have a machine but you'd be better off with a human touch to slowly especially back in those days slowly go and put this over the neck because it fits tight you know slide it over the neck you have to tape the neck board or the neck of the tube a certain way to get that on there well, this thing is so precise, it has to be, you know, this is how, like, it's going to sit, this is the top side right there like that, so it's going to sit, like, this is the tube right here, the back of the tube that it's sitting in. It has to be at a perfect angle, okay? Like, it can't, it can't be out a little bit, aim like this, or even side to side. It, it can tilt just a hairline, and that can cause you all kinds of issues because it's trying to line up beams, and if it just tilts one way, like the opposite side will look um, unconverged. And what what controls that is, again, we're talking about service manuals. You can always refer to the service manual to tell you all about the stuff I'm trying to explain. Um, the, the tube has these on the back of it that are wedges that give it, you know, a specific set point. And then like this one would have three of these wedges around, right? On the tube. Yeah, yeah no, I, I see know, it. I we, it's you, really you good. We see what see I'm here with these wedges. Okay. Yeah, so the wedges go sit there. And, and so what happens over time is this will, um, these wedges, these wedges are like anything. They can, the stuff will break down on them and they'll just slip, Nips. fall out of place. And your yoke will move a little bit and then it'll mess up your convergence. Um, so that's something you always got to check the wedges, check, make sure it matches the manual because the manual will tell you, hey, your wedges need to be here, here and here. And the, that way you set it because, again, some guy's doing this. So it's like you got to do this and you got to have the wedges here and here and here on the back of the tube. And then it needs to be aimed in this first perfect spot or it will have problems on your dynamic edge convergence. So it explains it there. So what's just happened a lot of times is one of these will fall in place or this will shift at some time when the monitor has been moved. Um, it's only secured by a single screwed on like just ring. It's not even on this one. It's on this one here. Yeah, you push it against the back of the tube. And the only thing that holds uh -huh. it in place is this one screw ring. 
like it puts pressure on the back here so this is all floating free technically it's just held by that back pressure mm. so if that screw becomes loose or moves you know it's it's a pretty easy thing that can move okay and it causes the whole picture to become messed up so that's um that's the first thing I always tell people to when I when I work on a monitor um, and if it's got any convergence issues, the first thing I do is check what we just talked about. I check the yoke angle and make sure it's looking like it's right up against there. And honestly, a lot of times if there's any issues whatsoever, the first thing I do is loosen this ring whatsoever. The first thing I do is loosen this ring and then, you know, check the wedges, make sure they're there. And then I will literally then you know, check the wedges, make sure they're there. And then I then, you know, check the wedges, make sure they're there. And then I was off, put, push this, you know, forcefully while the monitor, a lot of those can push this, you know, forcefully while the monitor shit up against the back of the tube and try to level it out. And after shit up against the back of the tube and try to level it out. And after emergence issues, cause it's actually getting in and it's in its right spot, you know, emergence issues, cause it's actually getting in and it's in its right spot. You know that if you're lucky, you can check in. It's not on everyone that if you're lucky, you can check right, in. Yeah, it's not on everyone there. It'll control these two uh, settings, which is dynamic convergence. So you can actually spin those a little bit, which, and, and tighten up the dynamic convergence beams uh, with a convergence pattern. So that's what I tend so to do. Um, I tend to, you know, reseat the okay. yoke and yep. check all that. And then I'll toy with those. Right. And then after that, I check to see the uh, convergence rings, which I, I, did you have a question? Because I'll go through the rings after that. Sure. I mean, I guess before we because the convergence rings are good. So you, you push this the yoke into the back of the tube and it sits there. Now, you've just you told us how fine this is and how hair razor sharp it has to be in exactly the right position is that hard for you like but you you put the yoke on you put the you find the manual you put the wedges in the correct position give it a bit of force screw in and you eyeball it and you yeah. see like okay that looks straight and that usually gets you there and sometimes it's sometimes it, it's literally like oh uh, you know you might try it three or four five times and sometimes it doesn't okay. improve it maybe it already was in the right spot and that's where you move on to the next step with like the rings I was going to tell you, but okay, makes that's, sense. but All yeah, right, that's cool. like, so that, but that's the first thing you want to do. Cause you want to go ahead and, and you know, that, that is much easier and, um, that's much easier than adjusting the rings. Well, we just talked about that with us, you know, getting in there and moving just this whole thing is adjusting the rings. It's way easier. And it doesn't, if you don't have it set up like in the right spot to begin with, you could play with the rings and everything else and just make it worse because it's not, you know, this is like, oh, well, you're out of calibration to begin with. So you're just trying to recalibrate something that's never going to probably be able to do that in the first place. The yoke has to be seated in the right spot uh, within its tolerance um, to be able is, to when do you're, that. When you're pushing the yoke on, will, and let's say it does it, does that typically fix the static was in the middle dynamic was on the edges this is going to be more dynamic stuff it will affect okay. static convergence some uh but thankfully static convergence is the easiest one to adjust most of the time uh and you know there's an h stat uh, adjustment okay. on the neck board that lines the whole darn thing uh aligns all the beams horizontally the problem is more or less the vertical orientation that's where they get thrown off and and again if the yoke's not tilted right even the horizontal won't line up 
So you always keep convergence. Like your convergence needs to be good in the middle. And sometimes you just have to deal with crappy convergence on the edges and just have it and live with it on some sets because they're never going to get past that. They're just good at the good horizontal or the good static convergence. Okay. Okay. All right. So that's the first part one. Now, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like the if rings you, and yeah, if you get into the situation then where you're like, you still need more adjustment. These, uh, like we talked about factory setting, these yokes tend to have a factory setting, right? They're always set by the factory in some way, the technician who originally did them. And they generally go through and they use some kind of white epoxy on the rings. So you can tell Now this one's been screwed with a bunch of times. So it's got like other glue, um, my process after I get the yoke seated, if it still doesn't look right, generally I'll go and I'll look at these rings and I can tell that they've been moved from the standard factory setting. And the reason I can tell that is because the residue remains on these from the white, you know, where they originally set it. So like this is a starting point because that's not even you see how there's like a starting point there on the yoke itself. Let's see how I line those top two rings oh, yeah, 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 to match yeah, yeah, yeah. that. So I go through and I always line these up to the original setting to start. Okay. Like, so you could keep going around and then you mm-hmm. can line all those up to where you try to make that white go all the way across to its original setting. And most of the, cause most of the time you are not going to be able to set these better than what they were done in the factory. You know, they were okay. professionals doing this and they did it all day. This is like, so Nine times out of ten, the original setting is the best setting. So you get it back to that, and it usually looks pretty good. Um, if it's in the original setting, you can attempt to make a ring adjustment. But that's like the worst thing. The most painful thing to do is those rings in, in anything, I feel like. Uh, so I always come back to that. Uh, that's a good tip is to try to – and if it's not been messed with, hopefully it's already working. But those uh, those rings are there. And then you got your final step if you uh, – after you get done with the rings and set, if you still have problems in your corners, then you can use, you know, just these um, convergent strips behind the All right, yoke. walk us through those because I've seen those tube. put up, but yeah. I, I still don't quite get how they Well, they you know, the tubes, against the, the tubes against the uh, yoke, and, and the idea mm-hmm. is you got the, mat, you know, you're, you're like this is the top corner, and you might have on the image side out in front the corner where my finger is. You might notice your convergence doesn't look good in this corner. So this is just a magnet on a stick, like a straw. Sure. That's all it is. Plastic ma- with a little magnet. You're just going to yeah. go and slip that down in between the layer. So you see how we've got these okay. here. Yeah, You're just yeah, yeah. manually adding magnetism to the inside of this uh, to manipulate those corners to where they align. So the magnetism just sits there and you're like, okay. And that's why if it moves, a little bit it could throw the whole thing off because it's magnets and it will affect it negatively if it's not set correctly so that's that's the final part is sitting those strips in um and that's that's a little bit more difficult the strips in the uh rings are harder too because you got to do that while the monitor's powered on and uh, that's and that's where that's where yeah you're gonna get yeah safety safety stuff but you can do um you can do everything else that we talked about in the first section of this with the wedge check and the yoke receding, you can do that by just, you know, have a surge protector, power it off the power to it, make your adjustment, power it back on, give it a second. 
You might be sitting there doing that for 30 minutes, you know, oh, I needs to go a little bit more to the right, oh, the left, you know, so, uh, but anybody can do that really safely because they can do it while the monitor's turned off. Um, it's just once you get into the fine tuning of those other parts and you can realign the, the you know, yoke rings without it being turned on. Um, so that's kind of, I know that's, uh, I don't know if it, how much that actually made any sense, but, uh, if it's good. I think it's a very good start for it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I it's pretty depth. I've, I've been in the back of monitors, so I, I understood and I didn't know some of those things that you talked about. So that was really good. And I think though, that, um, I'm sure that people would love to see like a video where you explain this and work yeah. it through. Uh, I'm sure that'd be a really popular one. Yeah, it's probably would. It's, um, it's uh yeah it's see the problem is is it's like it's uh, again me i try to avoid like those doing mm. unless it's absolutely necessary doing those ring adjustments because don't touch the ring i never knew I what mean, to do with them before and i was always well, like and i see there there's a method in, so but like, it's not it's not it's 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 very difficult because you know you move one a little bit and it throws off every other spot right. on the screen it's like, would it be um, would it be a good idea if someone was going to mess with the rings, let's say, and the poxy was already broken, so they could move? Um, would it be a good idea to like take a photo of the ring so you've got that starting yeah. point? Well, it's always else? if you don't if it, that, that's why it's a good thing that the white stuff just always seems to stay there ninety five percent of the time. But mm -hmm. there were instances where maybe it's been done two or three times. Uh, yes, you should always have a picture, and I would even go through and take a sharpie. And like mark, you know, lines on there where I'm like, okay, if this worse comes to worse, because, you know, adjusting that rings, that's the problem is you get to the point you're like, golly, this is worse than to begin with. Where the heck did I start with? You go reset and then you try a different method because it's, it's archaic and it's like, you know, you're spinning a wheel and then it's like, well, there's four of them there that are affecting. So how many different Wait. combinations can you have of four wheels yeah. spinning around? Them? It's like a lock. You're a lock. Yeah, exactly. It's like a. It's a lock or a clock. It's more complex than a clock. It can have more combinations than a day, a clock on a whatever. Typically, so, when you're when you're adjusting convergence on rings, um, is the amount in your experience again is the amount that you need to move the ring typically like a millimeter or is it like a centimeter? Man, like it's. I mean, it's. It can take. It can make a big difference just from a millimeter movement. That's the problem mm. is it's like it can be very, very, very picky. It's very and, sensitive. Uh, okay. Yeah, and it's very sensitive. And like I said, sometimes you're stuck with whatever uh, whatever the yoke and the TV ultimately can do. There was a point where it's like we got it here, and it's like Sony's like, well, it's like 95% of the way there, and that's all we have to do is be, be like 93% there to make it a good product. So they're not going to go and – try to achieve that extra five percent and i think it's because is, is that even achievable i it's like is that achievable i don't know I, you can't you're not going to get it perfect there's nothing i've never seen as much as I, i've never seen one now that's why people people love the um like the d20 and the d24 and those higher end bvms because you have all these settings we talked about except for the rings you can actually go in there and manipulate the convergence through the software in those. Mm, so you okay. just sit there and turn a dial and it'll literally start lining up your convergence on the screen. So you don't even, you don't even have to touch anything in the back of the monitor. Uh, you can sit there and just play with convergence all day to your heart's delight, uh, trying to line it up if you want. 
and it's it's a lot of fun on those because yeah you're just sitting there you know you don't have to you don't have to get dirty and if you want to hit reset you just hit like back to you know back to whatever it was before and it'll just go boom back to the original setting that you're not saved interesting well steve we're just coming up on an hour and a half but this was i'm glad that we went longer on this one i'll put the time codes in and this is awesome information that look even if someone's not doing a i'm not doing a convergence this week or next month but it's something relevant it's a mysterious part of the crt that i didn't understand before and look i'm I'm a happy listener of this episode as well as everybody else. I'm it's glad we got to talk stuff. about the DAG thing because I wasn't even—I didn't <laughs> even read that question, and I wasn't even like prepared prepared for that. But thankfully, I literally read like last week. I was reading, researching DAG and like what it's do, why is it did all that. I just literally read it, and oh, nice. so good timing. All right, thanks. We'll stay, stay on the line, Steve. But thank you very much to everyone for listening. We're going to be back next week. If you got your questions, stick them in the comments below. And, uh, and again, you're already hearing a little bit. Try to give us a bit more info. Whatever info that you feel is relevant can help us along. Steve, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Lewis. All you're right, the best. See you, see you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye.